You're listening to the Super Talk podcast, produced by the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees, shaping profit to member super. Hello and welcome to Super Talk. My name is Gary West and I'm the Senior Manager, Media and Communications with AIST. Today, we'll be looking at the pathway to net zero emissions and the role of the investment community, among other issues. Joining me is Andrew Saunders, Head of Natural Climate Solutions at Investment Manager and Advisor, QIC. Among the topics you'll be hearing about today are the challenges and opportunities on the road to net zero, including the energy transition, the role of natural capital in an investment portfolio, and the growth of environmental markets and how fund managers can leverage them. Andrew, thanks for joining me today. What do you see as the major challenges on the road to net zero? Thanks, Gary. It's great to be here. Yeah, I think I think there's a, a few, um, but I guess there's kind of three key ones that I see. And the first is decarbonizing hard to abate sectors. And when I mention hard to abate sectors, you know, think about uh, energy and heavy industry, those entities with scope one dominant emission profiles. Um, and, you know, at a high level, there's three key avenues for reducing emissions, and that's energy efficiency, switching to re- renewables and other forms of fuel switching. And once you've exhausted those avenues, you're left with offsetting your residual emissions. But for those hard to abate sectors, we're still kind of working out, you know, what technologies make the most sense for different industries. When are these technologies likely to become commercially available? And what can be done now to reduce and or offset emissions, acknowledging that the next seven to eight years leading up to 2030 are really critical in terms of turning the ship around and kind of having any chance of reaching that one and a half to two degree outcome. And then secondly, I think um, having a clear vision of what a credible net zero emissions pathway looks like and what are the different components of that pathway. You know, is it science-based? What is the appropriate level of detail? Should the net zero emissions plan um, come with external assurance? And what are the key milestones in that plan Um, along the way so you can see how organisations are kind of tracking on their path to achieving net zero emissions. And then thirdly, I'd say it's around addressing what's becoming known as the climate nature nexus. And that's really acknowledging that ecosystems and the services they provide can both support climate change mitigation and adaptation, yet also suffer from the impacts of climate change. And I think that you know, this final one around that climate nature nexus is something that'll gain increasing focus um, over the years and you won't really be able to talk about climate or nature um, by itself. They'll kind of become more and more linked together. Are new opportunities emerging out of the energy transition and, um, and what are they? There definitely is. There's a whole bunch of opportunities coming out of the transition. And, you know, it's not only through investment in things like low carbon energy systems and storage, but it's also investment in solutions that deliver carbon abatement opportunities through the creation of carbon offsets. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of focus in the media and discussion around carbon offsets at the moment. And 
you know, from our perspective, while they shouldn't be the plan to decarbonise, they can play a, an important role in delivering a faster, deeper transition to net zero and beyond. And I guess an example there is, you know, if a company has a credible net zero emissions pathway with all of those kind of key components that we discussed a little earlier, um, and they purchase high integrity offsets on their way to net zero, you know, isn't that a better outcome? Um, and, you know, if they purchase the right types of offsets, they can deliver a whole range of additional co-benefits to the broader environment and the community. Um, and I think, you know, this focus on, on carbon offsets and the role they play will just continue to, to become more important as we get closer to kind of these interim targets, 2030 and 2040, and then the long term of net zero emissions by 2050. I'd like to ask you about natural capital. Uh, can you tell us what is natural capital and what role can natural capital play in a diversified portfolio? Sure. When you think about natural capital, really we're thinking about, you know, vegetation, soil, water, oceans, biodiversity, and the services that they provide to our businesses, people, and the economy. So and when I talk about those services, think about things like climate regulation, water filtration, pollination, et cetera. And I think, you know, in terms of the, the role that natural capital can play in, diversify, in a diversified portfolio, firstly, there's the real asset backing component. So the returns are generated by physical assets, such as commercial agricultural land and diverse agricultural commodities. And then secondly, the returns are anticipated to provide low correlation to traditional investment classes and inflationary hedge characteristics, which is becoming, you know, increasingly more important in today's economic environment. And then finally, you know, it provides a platform for participation in environmental markets, which we see as continuing to grow into the future as these kind of really complex systemic issues such as climate change, um, the degradation of nature and or biodiversity loss continue um, to gain focus from a range of stakeholders, but particularly um, from the investment community. There's an increasing focus on uh, environmental markets. How are fund managers leveraging these markets to deliver uh, environmentally responsible products that are also commercially competitive? Yeah, I think they're starting to, you know, acknowledge these, I guess, macro themes that are occurring. And again, around climate change, nature and biodiversity loss, and then thinking about how they can create vehicles for asset owners to invest in um, that, I, I guess, address these macro themes that are, are becoming a growing concern to their members. Um, and I think, you know, one of the key, I guess, opportunities is that these vehicles can solve for, for both issues or contribute to solving for both issues. And I think, you know, those, these asset owners are looking to allocate capital in these vehicles that can deliver outcomes to these broader issues whilst also delivering a commercial return. And I think they're also looking to leverage the development of this environmental market to deliver multiple benefits from a single project. And it kind of goes back to that co-benefits piece I was talking to earlier, where you might be developing a, a carbon offset project, 
let's say a reforestation project um, and that reforestation project might deliver a, a range of additional co-benefits including in, uh, improved biodiversity outcomes a reduction in erosion into local waterways and catchments um, it also might provide local opportunities um, for, for businesses in terms of um, you know uh, ecological um, consultants, pest and weed control, it might provide training opportunities um, for regional communities as well. And I think, you know, these, these carbon offsets that focus on um, nature-based solutions, which are projects that aim to protect, manage and restore natural and work, working systems in ways that avoid greenhouse gas emissions and or increase carbon sequestration, I think you know, these are some of the lowest cost forms of abatement that are available to us today. And they can also be delivered at scale whilst delivering those, those additional co-benefits. So you can you kind of have the opportunity to kill two birds with one stone. You're addressing climate change issues in terms of delivering carbon abatement, but then you're also delivering biodiversity outcomes, improved environmental outcomes and potential um, social outcomes. And these offsets are attracting the premium in the market today, and we believe will continue to attract the premium uh, moving forward because of those co-benefits they deliver. Do government targets need to be more aggressive uh, to support the growth of um, environmental markets? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think clear policy signals from government are important in providing a level of certainty for potential participants in environmental markets. However, I, I do think the level of awareness around some of these issues, you know, such as climate change and biodiversity loss is growing among investors. Um, and this has been facilitated through the onset of disclosure frameworks, such as the task force um, for climate related financial disclosures, and now the development of the task force on nature related financial disclosures. Um, and, you know, in addition to that, there is this growing appetite amongst allocators of capital to invest to help solve these issues. Um, so, yes, while I think the government has a role, I think there's so much momentum in the private sector that the government in, isn't necessarily key. Can you tell me about... Uh the opportunities that are really arising from or on the path to net zero? Yeah, I think there's a range of opportunities and, you know, we've touched on them um, a little bit throughout our discussion. You know, obviously renewable energies, um, a massive opportunity. Storage um, as well will be another massive opportunity. Um, and then, you know, I guess the third one is this, and that we're seeing at the moment is this development um, of carbon markets, both internationally, but um, also domestically uh, in Australia. And then I think off the back of that carbon market development, you know, biodiversity markets um, will develop. And, you know, the, the World Economic Forum released a paper last week uh, on um, the importance of biodiversity credits and these biodiversity markets developing particularly for that reason that there's this there's these two you know large macro global issues that are interlinked with climate change and nature loss and so those two markets are going to have to develop to help solve those issues and you know here in Australia we're seeing 
we've seen the announcement of the, the federal government around the development of their biodiversity um, certificate scheme. So I think that'll be a, a big tailwind um, off the back of the, you know, the carbon markets, which are, are obviously developing domestically and internationally. That's all for this episode of Super Talk. Thanks to Andrew Saunders of QIC. For more episodes of Super Talk and for more information on the work of the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees, visit our website at aist.asn.au and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast.